Welcome to Fusion Voices, the official podcast of NYU's Fusion Film Festival. Fusion's mission is to celebrate women and non-binary creators in film, television, and new media. I'm your host, Skylar Barefoot. Today's episode is a conversation from this past summer with Lucy Heavens. This is the third event out of a three-part series that Fusion held in collaboration with NYU's Student Animation League. Fusion and Sal wish to thank everyone who attended the live events, as well as our featured guests. You can find the other two episodes in this series posted wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to Fusion Voices. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the third installment of the Sal Times Fusion webinar event. This event is the product of the hard work from the Fusion co-directors, myself, Sequoia Sheriff, and Kitty Bailey, as well as Sal, the Student Animation League, President Joanna Shu, Social Media Manager, Back Sathi Asalan, and the co-vice president, Julia Wang. The Fusion Film Festival is NYU's premier film festival dedicated to celebrating women and non-binary creators in film, <clears throat> television, and new media. Founded in 2003 at Tisch School of the Arts by two students, Emma Held and Dina Abetamarco, Fusion has been passionately guided by Conbar professor Susan Sandler. The Suda Animation League is a student-run organization that helps bring the world of animation directly to the students at NYU. Thank you everyone for joining us today. Today we have the honor to speak to Lucy Heavens, who has done amazing work for Disney on Space Chickens and is currently working on running a show that will air in 2023. After some time, we will hold an open Q&A. If you have a question, please raise your hand in the reactions window and one of us will call on you to answer. Now I'll hand it over to our moderators, Kitty Bailey and Yasmin Madrigal. All right, so our first question is, what got you interested in filmmaking? And also, what got you more interested in children's TV specifically? Sure, well, thank you for that warm welcome. <laughs> um, right, so what? I, how did I get into film? I actually um, started out as a playwright. Um, it's really because I think I what really spoke to me was absurdism ever since I was in high school. Um, it was absurdism and Kafka and existentialism. And to be perfectly honest, like SpongeBob SquarePants that really spoke to me. <laughs> I kind of felt, I guess, like I, I, I really wouldn't have been able to articulate this then that what it was saying to me was, yes, we are all specks on a cosmic wind or we are all kind of meaningless bits of nothingness in all of time and space, but we can have a laugh. <laughs> and I feel like it made me um, feel sane. Um, and anyway, I got very much into absurdism in, in all kinds of forms, whether it was art, you know, fine art or literature or uh, plays and cartoons like did it for me they always did the good ones at least and I studied drama and I was a performer and I wrote plays with a colleague and a friend of mine we wrote two-handers and then when I realized that I wanted to make actual money <laughs> I realized that maybe I would like to get into television 
but I did, I, uh, realism never really um, floated my boat. It was always comedy and always uh, the weirder aspects of it. And then I, um, and I always loved uh, cartoons. So I got in touch with pretty much the only animation studio in Cape Town that had a show in production at the time. It's a very different universe if you uh, are growing up in the USA, though I guess there are a lot of parts in the USA that where you don't have access to New York and LA animation studios. Uh, and I and I said to them, I think I'm a writer. I'm not an artist at all. So I'm definitely the most sort of outsider that I know of who's in animation. I'm not an artist, I'm a writer. I'm not from the US <laughs> and um, so, and then the rest was history. And then uh, it was my first job and I've never done a job that wasn't in animation since, except for a brief stint in London for about two years when I worked in uh, on like late night comedy panel shows. But yeah, other than that, I've I've been in animation and that's how I got into the industry. That's awesome. That is a lot to think about, actually. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it, it took me a long time to unpack it, to be honest. I used mm -hmm. to wonder, like, what, why, <laughs> how did I end up here? But it was all very um, conscious when I think about it. Like, you know, I sought out that animation studio and I learned about it. And I, you know, in a self taught, I'm a self taught person in that kind of way. Yeah, that is amazing. Yasmin? Where do you get your inspiration for each episode? You've written for Super Strikers, which is a cartoon about a soccer tournament, but also Space Chickens in Space. Are the sources of inspiration different for each one? Yeah, I think they are. And I think now that I have my own show that I co-created with my partner, Nick, Nick Small, um, it's a different experience to how it was when I was writing other people's shows. Some shows require a little more academic kinds of inspiration. I mean, uh, you mentioned Super Strikers. That was the first job I ever had. It was a soccer adventure show. <laughs> and I didn't know very much about soccer, but um, it was a great place to learn. And you know, I mean, those kinds of those episodes were the kind of thing where you put together like a soccer problem and some crazy and absurdist threat. And I guess the one thing that does tie them together in terms of inspiration is looking because you always have one obvious aspect of an episode. So it's, you know, um, in this episode, they want to get a pizza and the pizza gets lost. And then what it becomes about is drawing in completely separate influences to, and to work very laterally so that you surprise your audiences at all times. But I mean, I've had experiences where I've had dreams <laughs> and they end up being episodes. And I've had um, experiences where uh, you know, you're adapting a Shakespeare play into an episode. And so I guess, yeah, really from all over. 
That's really cool. I it's I always find it interesting when people take inspiration from dreams, like for their writing. But, yeah, yeah, I do. And I have a lot of terrible ideas um, that are written on a note on my phone. <laughs> and some of them are amazing, uh, but only about 10%. <laughs> but when they're good, they're great. The ones that come from your dreams. Yeah, I'm the exact same way. <laughs> um, I'm, I wake up and I tell my roommate, all of the crazy dreams I have. And she's like, that's never going to make it a TV show. And I'm like, yeah, but it was fun to have. Um, you also never have to make it into a TV show. You can just use these little gems to spin out from there. Exactly. <laughs> I was wondering, was the switch to online work hard or, or was it I mean, easy since you do work in LA and you're in Cape Town, but I was wondering with, with the pandemic and everything. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've been um, Zooming since way before it was cool. <laughs> so um, long before the pandemic, as you can imagine, there are not an enormous amount of studios or productions going on in Cape Town, South Africa. So um, I have a representative in London and in LA. And so I was working from South Africa, but on European productions, Canadian uh, and productions from the USA um, for years, actually. I, I think it's, it's hardest now because we're having meetings on other people's time. So now I'm, I'm like a night shift worker. There are pros and cons, you know, in one respect, you can be wherever you want to be in the world. That's amazing. That's totally amazing. Um, the other thing, the, the difficult part is that what you want to sometimes do is like walk with someone to their car and have like this moment where you're not talking about work. You're just getting to know them. And I feel like so much creative overlap happens in those spaces like just the moment before the meeting where you're hanging out outside the door or, you know, someone shows you where to get a cup of coffee and you can glean a little bit about their lives. And that makes collaborating with people so much easier. We, Nick and I both discovered that it became easier after trips to LA when we did meet people have lunch and dinner with them. And then when we came home, there was a different vibe to the, to the Skypes and the Zooms afterwards because we had touched base. And I think in future, what we'd like to do is like a hybrid way of working where um, hybrid and flexible, you know, where you can spend time with people and then also have your meetings apart if you don't want to be in LA traffic for an hour and a half. Or if they just live a little bit outside of a city and they, you know, or if you can just get together a few times a year. I have to say that working with Disney when the pandemic hit was kind of mind blowing because everybody in the TVA building and I guess all of their buildings went home and switched on the next day and it carried on like nothing had happened and it was so seamless and we ran into like we were casting our pilot episode um, just as it happened just as it hit 
And the biggest problem was recordings and casting and voices. But it really didn't take longer than a couple of days before the sound studios had just sent out microphones to the actors. Actors had made like makeshift recording booths in their war in their closets. Audio engineers were just hopping onto their desktops and you know, fiddling with the gain in their garage band. And it all went really well. And here we are. So that, it, it worked. <laughs> That's awesome. Like, I heard it was really hard for some people, but it's so nice to hear that it wasn't a terrible experience for everyone. That's something yeah. out of the whole thing. Yeah. It, it was, I feel like it was kind of miraculous how well it went. Um, we didn't, we didn't go off schedule. We, we stayed on schedule, even shipped all of our animation materials to our partner studio in, in South Korea. They went off without a hitch. It was amazing. That's, that's so wonderful. Um, I'm going to pass it over back to Yasmin for the next question. How do you get out of writer's block when you have it? What an interesting question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have to say that as I have gotten older, it has become less of an issue than it was when I was a younger writer. I definitely used to feel like there are some days where you just aren't, it's not, coming out of my fingers. And what am I meant to do about that? I can pace around the room. I can like crawl under a table. I can go for a walk. Nothing's gonna, nothing changes it. I, I don't know quite why it's different now. I definitely remember it being terrible. I feel like now I fill the space with what I know is gonna be productive work, even if it's not that kind of wild, uh, creative, fun time work. Obviously, there are these sort of pillars of writing, which is the art of it and the craft of it. And some days the, the art stuff like isn't flowing. But I feel like now what I do is I just fill that space with craft stuff. So I know that I'm structuring and I know that I'm building out characters and I know that I can ask myself um, maybe slightly more intellectual or academic questions, which will serve me down the line when I'm back in a better space to just like close the door and, and have fun. Whether that is like, you know what I haven't done? I haven't like, um, like spun out that other character that's going to foil my main character. And like, let me just take a, some time thinking about um, what is going to provide my protagonist with the funniest kind of obstacles. Like, you know, what's going to be the best friend for them or what's, you know, it depends what part of the process you're in, but there's always some kind of academic or intellectual work you can do. And um, by the time I'm done with that, I've usually like just transitioned straight back into the free writing stuff, which is so fun. To be honest, I actually find both um, processes really enjoyable. And I feel like I can trust myself more 
you know, if you're writing comedy and you're having a shitty day, you feel like I am not going to make a joke today. I'm not going to, I just don't have it in me. I'm not in a good space. And uh, you've had an argument with somebody, whatever it may be. Um, and I've learned now that it kind of doesn't matter. Like you, you can just finagle around it doing like annoyed work for a while. And it just takes you back in. I think the trick is, I think what I'm trying to get at is to carry on working. Even if you're blocked, you just carry on working on whatever little aspect of it you can and see what happens. That's a really good point. Typically when I'm stuck in writer's block, I go to get a snack or something. But now that I think about it, maybe I should you know, work on the structure or anything else. That's a really Snacks good point. Snacks are also great. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was wondering if the switch from writing on a show to running a show was difficult. I mean, I'm sure it was, but, or was it easier than you thought with the help of Nick Small? Uh, yeah, I mean, Nick and I both have never done this before, though we do have a co-producer who is a, a very um, experienced hand in, in animation. He was the head writer of Adventure Time for 10 years, and he has worked on and boarded everything from Phineas and Ferb to SpongeBob. And so he's a great source of like, hey, Kent, <laughs> we need some advice. We need some help. But you know what? I have cursed my whole life and now I've, I'm finding it serving me so well, which is a common theme I find. All the things I've cursed in the past have ended up serving me very well. But is uh, the fact that we are from the outside. We haven't, um, you know, we look at these uh, creators in LA who are so great and we have always admired and they went to a great arts college and they interned and then they got a chance to board on a show and then direct on a show and then pitch a show. They've seen their colleagues pitch shows. They've seen people um, do the work of an EP. I feel like that that is amazing. And I was always very jealous of that. But now I realize that because Nick and I have built our careers in an environment where there's never a budget. Uh, there are never enough people to do all the roles um, that we have always in whatever job we've been in ended up doing a hundred different things, having to keep an eye on budgets and having to uh, direct. I've done my fair share of directing, doing voices when there's no one else to be doing them um, because there is no budget to do it. <laughs> It's actually really helped. We we have found that like uh, Nick has a YouTube channel and he has just auteur style done his own like comedy music and animation. And we've just always been people who've put out content and made it for ourselves, for the joy of it, because there weren't that many jobs available to us in, that, that were just jobs where we really like sink our teeth in and express ourselves and have a lot of fun and be funny. I feel like 
it's a demanding job. It's very challenging. It's very fulfilling. But we are at at the very least kind of ready for anything. We've been, you know, hustling for so long. <laughs> this actually feels like, you know, it's so we're we're with in the hands of such incredible studios and such extraordinary talented people that it's a breeze in a lot of ways. That's wonderful to hear. I hear it's so hard for certain people, but I'm so glad it was it was really nice for you. Like it's it's hearing your story has been so refreshing so far. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> <That's so nice. laughs> yeah, no, I mean just that. I just I can't imagine a better job. I mean, I, I literally wouldn't take a, a, a billion dollar lottery over this job. This is the best job in the world. This is the greatest thing to do. You know, we get to make a really funny cartoon with great people. It's the best job. Okay. Um, I'm going to pass it to you now. For Kiff, did you have a character designer create Kiff and Barry? Since you usually don't work in the art department. Uh, so Nick is an artist and so I'll tell you a little bit about how we collaborate and how we met and started working together. We met at a studio uh, working on a kind of com- on a commercial series and in Cape Town. Uh, he's an exceptional artist. He's very, very funny. And it was very, we very quickly realized that we had all the same references, all the same like fave shows from our childhoods. We were like excited to to get to work, to start talking about like the last episode of Rick and Morty or whatever was on TV that we were watching. And I just thought he was the, one of the funniest artists I've ever seen, you know, internationally as well as at home. Uh, we started working together. I, I mean, I, I had quite recently before, recently before that signed with my manager in LA and I had applied to our department of trade and industry in South Africa for funding to go to kids screen, which is a big market in Miami. It's kind of a producer centric market, but like it was an opportunity for me to go to the States and pitch a show. And so I said to Nick, Hey, I'm going to go to the States in a few months. Like want to put together a deck, like, I know it's nothing will come of it. It's crazy. Like as soon as we started working on it, it was very fun. I, I do draw very badly. <laughs> so <laughs> I had a, an image of a squirrel that um became kiff um and you know i would just like i was uh, like here she is and she's like this and she's very like that and she's this intense squirrel and he just started drawing he started drawing her he started drawing her friends and uh we both like put our finger down on his screen on this rabbit that he had drawn who became barry i was like these two they're best friends and he was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I would like start talking about Barry's character traits and he would start talking about Kiff's character traits. And so very quickly, we both started feeding into each other's work. I'm not a, I'm not a great artist myself, but I love art. I love being involved in art and character design. I love being able to say to Nick, like, 
what if his neck was twice as long or what if he was wearing flip-flops or you know whatever it may be nick is fantastic with character and story as well so what he was drawing started feeding into the stories and what i was talking about in the stories started feeding into the visuals so it was a very organic process and I can say that if you have it in you that you think that you were a collaborative person, it has made this journey. I can't imagine how, because it takes a long time to develop a show. It's It took us three years to get Kif from, from idea to green light. It's, it's, and they're often a long road and they can take even longer than three years. So to have someone to walk that path with you is an amazing gift. And it does require you saying things like, want to go 50-50 on the intellectual property? (laughs) And it does require you to give up a certain percentage of your profits and a certain uh, and half of your creative control. But if you have it in you to do it, it is, it is, I would never do it another way. We both have quite complementary strengths. We're not good at all the same things, you know, but we have the same comedy sensibility. We've been able to just like pick up slack where the other person, you know, is it's not their strength. And at the same time, feed back into each other's work in a kind of endless feedback loop, which um, when you're doing it with the right person is a very fun process. But having said that, it can happen in a lot of ways that you have a character designed. You know, you can find artists on Instagram. You can, you know, patch, patch them together in a collage. You can draw them very badly and still pitch a show. There are a lot of ways to go about it. And that was just the way it ended up happening for me on this show. I also cannot draw. <laughs> um, it's always exciting when you have like an image of a character and someone you know well, and they draw it for you to see their input. So that's really cool. Nick was able to do that. Yeah, like, it requires it requires like a lot of letting go of ego and stuff like that, you know, I can't get annoyed or irritated when I want something to be more of a certain way. And he's so open to to my ideas and to changing his initial idea. That has also worked to our advantage because I've then reciprocated in story, you know, like, well, that was kind of how I was seeing it. But shit, that is a good idea, you know, like to be open all the time to someone's criticism, like right off the bat is an amazing advantage that you don't have if you're not collaborating with someone, because then you're just putting this idea out and the first eyes that see it are executives um, or any, or someone you're pitching to. And even if like a buddy or someone you trust comes in and goes like, here's my opinion. It's not like, You know, I've just drawn their eyes apart and now I'm just trying them together. And I just want to know what you think real quick, you know, like get another eye on that. It's very advantageous. Yeah, collaboration is really important. It always helps like push you up and the other person up. 
Um, Kitty, I'll pass it back to you. Awesome. So you did already speak on this a little bit, but I was just wondering, well, yeah, you basically answered this, but I wanted like a, yeah, another version of it, but yeah. how much did you have um, of Kif when you pitched it and how much have you changed from your pitch so far that you can say, I know it's not released yet, but. Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, I'll, I, what I can say, obviously we're under non-disclosure for a lot of it, but we had a deck that was about, I would say it was about 30 pages long. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, it wasn't like 30 condensed pages. I mean, some of the pages just had one very rough image and one sentence. We had kind of, you, people can be quite prescriptive about a deck and go like, first you need the log line and then you need the um, name characters want, and then you need, and we're a bit more loose with it. What we did include those, those basic and important things, our main character. And we wanted, we knew that we wanted to be able to put down the deck and to have somebody go, <laughs> we knew we wanted a chuckle, like at the very least, just from looking at the image on the front. We we never actually wrote a great log line. <laughs> I don't <laughs> get to. To be honest, our show is not very high concept. Like there it isn't this wormholes travel through worms travel through wormholes in space. It's not like that. It's just uh, they're animals, but really they could be kids, they could be worms. They could be anything. It's kind of like how you could have SpongeBob in middle America or, um, you know, bacteria in the ice in Antarctica. And it was, it doesn't really matter because it's just about a little community and one dude in the center of it and their friends. And um, you know, the, our, our challenge was with the deck that we had at first was like, how do you pitch like the Simpsons? How do you pitch? Like, it's like a family and there's like a middle income family. <laughs> like you can't do it without, you know, the images to give it and, and, and text to give it like tonal reference, because that was the only thing that was ever going to sell Kif was just how it is tonally. So we just made sure that the deck read like it was in the characters' voices. We always like finished a paragraph on something like slightly cliffhangery. We had about we had a bunch of like sketches that Nick had done of of Kiff. Um, we had a, I think like maybe only two or three color images. And then just like really loose images of her best friend, her teacher, her mom and dad. And on each page, we just spent a lot of time talking about how the characters like functioned in the world, you know, why her dad was funny, why her mom was funny, why we wanted to watch this show. Like what would be funny about watching this character? That's all we had to pitch with we really stretched that deck out. I mean, it would fit on, it would have like the text would have fit it on like maybe three A4 sheets of paper. Oh, wow. And 
Yeah, it was, uh, you know, a short little, um, actually we fleshed out a few episodes is true. So maybe a bit longer than that, but um, we had, I think three episode ideas, maybe four, some ideas on the world, but we learned very quickly that that's fine. It's fine to have it loose as long as you know your character and you know the core of the show and you can speak to that. It's fine if everything else is loose. It was great because we did actually end up changing the world quite substantially. Though I have to say at the core of it was always Kiff and Barry and they never changed very much right from the from the outset. Yeah, it's so good to hear that just knowing your characters is enough and you don't have to have all of it thought about like. Oh, sure. Like, in fact, in animation, like especially if you're pitching to the biggest studios, they want to be involved in the in the development because they want it to reflect their brand and their channel and their, you know, is it a Nickelodeon show, Cartoon Network show or a Disney show? I think the um, landscape is changing with streamers, but uh, in a lot of ways, development departments are the same. Like they want to be able to, to kind of imprint on the show in some way, even if it is in a kind of nebulous and kind of, uh, you know, we never felt like um, Disney was terribly heavy handed either. So, but nonetheless, I, I had executives at Nickelodeon tell me like, oh, you don't need art even to pitch. Like you can just talk us through like how you're seeing it and we find artists for you. So I think there are no rules really. And it is about like figuring, like just figuring out how to communicate why you want to watch this show so much. Like we've always written Kiff. Nick and I have both written Kiff because we really want to watch it. (laughs) (laughs) And if you could do that, it's a, it's a easy sell actually. That's good. Yeah, Yasmin, I think one or more questions, then we'll open it up for the Q&A. How long uh, do you spend daily in the writer's room for Kiff? And is it different from the other shows? You worked on like Space Chickens and Space... Yeah, well, that was a different model. So um, for Space Chickens, I spent, I, we because it was a European production, and actually in, in Europe and in the UK, there is rarely a writer's room. Um, they usually have a script editor or a head writer who hands out scripts to writers who can be anywhere in the world. Um, on Space Chickens, we had like a, a summit for a week, in Ireland and um, they had writers from all over and we were all together for a week breaking stories. And um, then we all went away and were assigned however many stories. I mean, I I think we carried on pitching stories after even that, even that week. So, and, and then obviously in the States, there's far more of the culture of the room, which for animation is, I mean, for anything is a no brainer. It's just so much better. (laughs) Nick and I spend at least three hours a day with the writers. So sometimes we can only make it into the room for a couple hours, one hour, but, um, sorry. So I should have said at least one hour. Um, but then like twice a week, three hours with them. 
we do we we're we're kind of make sure to be there on days where we're reading scripts that the writers have gone away and written and come back to the room for thoughts we make sure we're there for breaking stories on um premises we had a little time at the front of production to just generate stories and that was very fun so but you know then what you're generating is little like half page ideas that then get fleshed out as outlines in kiff's room we actually write the outlines all together in some rooms the premises are given to a writer to to then you know expand into an outline in our room we have Google Docs and we are literally all in there and we are all like, okay, I'll take beat 13. Oh, somebody, I kind of screwed up in the middle of act two. Can you like, can somebody give me a good idea for that? And everyone is writing it at the same time. It is extremely efficient. <laughs> they happen so fast and they happen so well. It's uh, and it's and it's very enjoyable, fun, collaborative environment. Thank you so much, um, Yasmin and Kitty for moderating. Now we're going to hold our limited Q&A portion, which will last for about 10 minutes. So if anyone has any questions, you can raise your hand to ask. Or if you don't feel comfortable asking on screen, you can put it in the chat and we can read it for you. From Cheyenne or Shane, I'm so sorry. In the chat, it says, what's the most difficult part of being a showrunner? There are different aspects of the job that are difficult in different ways. So I guess the thing that you one just has to consistently be aware of is that it is a job that is all about communication. It is really the only skill that you is required of you is to be able, like a lot of people have wonderful ideas, but you have to be able to communicate them and to all kinds of different people. So some people you're communicating with are producers and you have to be able to speak to producers in ways that producers understand and respect and and then you have to be able to speak to animators and designers and artists. And then you have to be able to communicate to writers. And then you have to be able to communicate uh, with music departments. And KIF is a music show. We have a lot of songs in KIF. Nick and I are writing the songs. So you have to spend a lot of time making extremely sure that you are communicating clearly. And it can be, it can be quite tiring. Sometimes you just want somebody to be able to read your mind and not have to spend three hours writing your notes and feedback and emails and YouTube links and descriptions and uh, references to literature and just making sure that every moment of what your vision is for the show is being communicated. At the same time, you know, it's enjoyable, but it's that's a that is a challenging aspect. Uh, so the next question is from Jasmine. It says, what are you watching or reading right now? Oh, well, I just finished watching White Lotus. And have you guys seen it? It's amazing. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, but it's on my list. So that's why I made oh that. 
in in our writers room we basically had created a white lotus prediction sheet which was like a google spreadsheet which had like our names our predictions for what would happen with each character and then like the imaginary prizes that would be won for the people who were right <laughs> we are way too into it yeah, that was, that's great. And, uh, I, what have I been reading? Um, I, oh, I just finished the Bill Bryson's new book. Well, it's not his, it's not new, but I think it's his newest book about the human body. I love Bill Bryson. I love science. Uh, I love like reading popular science when it's well-written and yeah. So that's what I'm watching and reading right now. That's awesome. I'm going to add that book to my list. I'm going to. Oh, God, it'll blow your mind. Yeah, I, I was like, I, you know, I was like having a conversation with my mom uh, and I was in the middle of it. I was like, mom, your wrist, mom, I need to tell you about the human wrist, mom. <laughs> I blow your mind. And every part of that book is like, holy shit, the, t- your taste buds, they're incredible. Anyway. Oh my gosh. No, yeah, that's <laughs> wonderful. I'm not the best at school, but when it comes to like reading something I'm interested in, I'll le- actually learn it. But oh yeah. yeah I'm so it's glad. not about it's also not about like it's about who who's writing it. It's about who's yeah. teaching you. Yeah, yeah anything exactly. interesting. Um, okay, we have another question from Lynette and it says, What are some tips you have for creating and pitching concepts aimed for children television? Yeah, you know, I realize now that I never answered the part about children's television. That's okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, there are going to be a m- many different philosophies on this. Uh, I mean, I'm a person who's in a little bit of arrested development in terms of the fact that I feel like I'm at sort of spirit age nine. I can still read Roald Dahl. It still gives me joy to read Roald Dahl books. And and in fact, a lot of books from my childhood, which I will reread to this day, a lot of fairy tales, mythology. And I think that what I have realized about the stuff that I loved when I was a kid and that I still love now is is that you can see it very clearly in Roald Dahl. So I'll use that as a as an example, but it's true in Tolkien and many other writers is that the kid in the story is never treated like they are not fully empowered to make any kind of decision, especially a moral decision. So often the people in positions of authority are not particularly nice or not particularly kind or smart. Matilda still gets to be a smart, kind kid. It was a kind, it's a kind of thing where you say to a kid or what I've always wanted to say to a kid is like, you're right to be suspicious that people in authority aren't kind or aren't smart. You're right to wonder about them. You're right to question them and you're right to forge your own path, whatever it may be. That has formed a very kind of central core of what Kif is. She is a, it is very much about empowering the kid. She needs a lot of help. She consistently screws up. It is about going like, 
I'm it's up to you, kid, to decide what kind of person you're going to be. It's it's up to you to decide who you're going to be as a friend or as a family member or as a student. And and so, I mean, I I guess what I'm getting at is don't talk down to kids (laughs) when you're creating or pitching concepts aimed for children's television Kiff is a very available show to a lot of age groups because, as I said earlier, we're writing it for ourselves. We're not talking down to kids. But there is a Madeline Langle quote. She wrote A Wrinkle in Time. She was once interviewed and she said, if the subject matter you're writing is too hard for grown-ups, write it for children. that really has always stayed with me. And I feel like you can get to the core, you can cut to the quick, you can speak truth in children's TV in weird and subversive and absurd ways. And so we've always enjoyed, we enjoy doing that daily. (laughs) I'm adding that to my quote book. I'm going to write it everywhere. Oh my goodness. Yeah, please, please. I'm butchering her language. So look up how she said it. Don't quote me on that. (laughs) I love that so much. We do have another uh, question. Um, It goes, is it harder to get a show for a teen demographic greenlit? Versus shows aimed at a younger audience? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I've never had a teen demographic, demographic show greenlit. I can say that I think it's easier now than it ever has been. Nick and I have another show in development, um, which is for an older demographic. It's still animation. I think because of streamers, there, you know, in the olden days, up to and including five years ago, the the broadcasters, you know, you're locked into age groups in a very clear way because of advertising. So, you know, they want to know if they're advertising to really young kids or adults. And it made it hard for them to green light shows that were that had to find their own audience. Whereas now with Netflix and Disney plus it's a huge demographic. And I think that now that it's becoming easier for shows to find their audience, as opposed to the other way around that it, that it is getting way easier, but I mean, absolutely anything is possible. I feel like I'm proof of it. So Listening to this episode of Fusion Voices Spotlighting Lucy Heavens. This episode was brought to you in collaboration between Fusion Film Festival and NYU Student Animation League. Again, you can check out the other two episodes from this series and subscribe to Fusion Voices wherever you get your podcasts. To never miss a Fusion update, you can follow us on Instagram at Fusion Film Fest. Thank you to our moderators, Kitty Bailey and Yasmin Madrigal. A special thank you to our guest, Lucy Heavens, our faculty advisor, Susan Sandler, Joanna Shu and Julia Wang from the Student Animation League, and the entire Fusion Voices team, Maya Gavant, Sam Whitley, Riley Foster, and Alora Lindsay. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you in the next one.